in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Well, the reason Ed Graney couldn't get into practice this morning for the Raiders is because they canceled practice. Um, and they canceled it this morning. I don't know that I have any hot takes on this other than the Raiders just randomly canceled practice five minutes before it was supposed to start. You don't have any hot takes about the fact that if anything in 2021 gets canceled randomly, the first thing we think of is COVID? Oh, I no, I didn't even go there. I'm living in a post-pandemic yeah. world, Adam, apparently. He, he's come back on va- from vacation, and he doesn't even think COVID exists. He was just at a packed Dodger stadium. Well, Paul Gutierrez just tweeted that they're still doing the press conferences with Derek Carr, Jonathan Hankins, and Alec Ingold. So if it was COVID-related, they probably wouldn't do the press conferences? Uh, that doesn't fit my wild speculation narrative, okay. so I'm going to stick in with mine. Have okay. you guys never just, like, shown up somewhere with friends and been like, do you guys really want to do this? No? Okay. Let's just call it off. I don't think John Gruden plans things the way you and your friends would plan things. I mean, I kind of feel like he does. Yeah. Uh, Adam Hill tweeted, last-minute practice cancellation for the Raiders. Players were in pads, and media was escorted to the field. It was definitely bizarre, which... Again, uh, goes back. That plays well into your wild speculation. Something's something's up here, guys. Yeah, like you know, like like let's let's not uh, let's not give the Raiders a pass on anything COVID related after everything we've seen from the Raiders related to COVID. Hey, they're good with their vaccination rates so far. We're given a clean slate, Adam. It's a new year, ten year contract. Every year, John Gruden gets a clean slate. I I apologize. I don't want to impugn any legacies. I don't care about him. Next question. The NFL will have referees emphasize calling taunting penalties next season. Adam, you're our resident referee. Is is the logic here they're afraid of fights? Like, what's what's wrong? Like, who's asking for, hey, you need to call more taunting penalties? Anytime you see something about sportsmanship or taunting, it's generally about, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, the appearance of the game. And I don't know who's worried about the appearance of the game, but obviously someone is. And I have to feel like this probably came from ownership because that's the only place that I could see it coming from. Uh, Otherwise, who really cares? Who really cares about taunting? And it, it looks to me like from what I read that the penalties for taunting are now going to be at least equal to, if not more severe than the penalties for targeting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the the video that the NFL used like one of the taunting plays was a guy after running the ball picking up a first down flexing and then there was a little bit of contact bumping the defender after the play but he was like flexing and it's like what are we we're upset about that like I don't know the the whole image thing I I want there to be taunting like that makes it to me that's a better image if there's taunting on every big play 
Like I, that's much better. That's way more entertaining to watch for me. And I don't care about sportsmanship or respecting your opponent because I flexed after I made a great play. That's fine with me. I need more of that. So whatever the reasoning is, it's dumb. I'm just, I'm just fascinated as to like, who is pushing for it? Who is asking for, Hey, you know, we need to get those first down arm pumps out of the game. Those are ruining the sport of football. I'm going to tell you, this is not some sort of, um, you know, Dave Koken level betting advice, but if there are going to be more taunting penalties called in the first couple of weeks and guaranteed, if this is supposed to be an emphasis, referees are going to be looking for it. And you're going to see more of them. Uh, there are probably going to be a few less points scored in these games. Oh. You're going to see more drives get stalled out based on taunting penalties. But if they start flagging defensive backs for, you know, doing a celebration after. Oh, a pass God. If he drives a lot. See, this is. This is why Tyler, who is now our <laughs> resident horse player, is going to be our sports betting expert. Oh, good God. We're going to have so many offsetting fouls. Next question. The Raiders' first preseason game has the most expensive tickets in the NFL. Mick Akers tweeted, Saturday, Raiders' preseason game is the top preseason ticket on the market, according to TickPick, with an average purchase price of $267.88. The cheapest listed ticket is $108, more expensive than half of the regular season week one NFL games. We've seen outside of like a like a Buccaneers game here and there, the Raiders average ticket price is expected to be the highest for basically the entire season for their home games. Does that make you believe there's going to be like 50% road fans at most of these games? I think we finally answered the question. What happened to Mark Bedane and the financial staff for the Raiders? They went to work for TickPick. <laughs> right? Uh, that, that seems to be where the money is in, uh, in Raiders games right now. Uh, yeah, you're going to have 50% road fans. You know why? Because that's how the whole stadium was designed in the first place. The financials for paying off this stadium work on the idea that half the fans for every game are coming from out of town. Now, that doesn't mean they're all fans of the other team, but if they're coming from out of town and they're not coming from, you know, L.A. or Oakland, then they're coming to watch the other team. So in order to pay off the uh, stadium and pay the room taxes, you better hope that there are at least twenty or 30,000 people every game coming from out of town. I enjoyed the fact that a the stadium for it to be successful has to have people coming from out of town but also the Raiders have said over and over they're like listen most of our season ticket our PSL sales they were people from Nevada they were people or from Oakland like they're they were pushing very hard that it's going to be a pro Oakland crowd when the, like you said the whole point was it to not be a pro Oakland crowd well if they're coming from Oakland if they're coming from LA that's great right up until the point where uh, 2021 doesn't look all that different from 2020. Are people still willing to travel the same way? Are they willing to get on planes? Are they willing to come to Vegas hotels? We'll find out. You know, we, we just read a story uh, in the review journal yesterday about the fact that the person in charge of booking events for Allegiant Stadium said they've had events back out of Allegiant Stadium because of the mask mandate here in Nevada. So I wouldn't be so confident that just because people from oakland or la bought the tickets that they're going to necessarily keep the tickets especially if the ticket prices are as ridiculous as they are in the secondary market tyler if you could make two or three hundred dollars a ticket or more depending on how where your seats are you might sell them too 
Of course I would, especially preseason tickets. Are you kidding me? I would not go to a single preseason game. I'd sell them for whatever I could get, let alone, I mean, the regular season. If I, I, if I had season tickets, I probably wouldn't go to a single game this year. I'd probably sell them all at the, if they're like going to be the nine highest priced games or nine of the 10 highest priced games. Yeah, I'd sell them all. That'd be a way yeah. better idea. Uh, yeah, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Do you know how many horses I could buy? Oh, God. Chickens. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Also on the uh, Legion Stadium news from yesterday, uh, UNLV is not going to receive $3.5 million possibly for the next two to three years. So in UNLV's uh, lease agreement at Allegiant Stadium, they can get up to $3.5 million a year. That payment is basically a, hey, Sam Boyd Stadium had to close. UNLV made money off of events that were at Sam Boyd Stadium, but they can no longer do that. So there was an agreement for up to 10 years that UNLV could get $3.5 million back to sort of offset those losses. But... Because there was a pandemic, because nobody was coming to Vegas, because we didn't produce as much room tax as expected, there's not going to be any money to pay UNLV this year and potentially for the next two to three years. Is UNLV ever going to see that money? Yes, I believe that UNLV will see the money, although we're starting to see that when the folks at the stadium authority say to us, hey, we've got a bond waterfall, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, uh, yeah, there are consequences. Now, does that mean UNLV never sees the money? No, it's entirely possible that the stadium authority makes that money up to UNLV down the line in the future. That would have to be amended. But uh, yeah, the university is um, the university is a passenger in all of this. It has been all along, and uh, and I know we're going to talk about the scheduling as well for the stadium and that is just another example when it comes to the bond payments yeah one of the funny things of unlv's lease agreement is i did not really view it as a good lease agreement for unlv and one of the reasonings was scheduling and the raiders having control over it but lynn jessup who's the president at the time he one of the key points that he said this is a great deal for unlv because that 3.5 million dollar payment he was like we're gonna get 3.5 million dollars for the first 10 years of that stadium and they might still end up getting $3.5 million over the course of 10 years, but they're not getting it for the first 10 years of the stadium. So, like, what was a good deal? What was a carrot for UNLV, or at least what they propose as a carrot, is not even existing in this first year. And even at the end of the day, it was a bad deal because it ended after 10 years where owning Sam Boyd, if this stadium had never come, they would still have those events past 10 years. Now, yeah, it, it, to, to, to push back a little bit on that, Tyler, I mean, that's also to say that Sam Boyd would have continued to be a functional, usable stadium for all of that time sure. and not needed significant repairs or upgrades. Like, uh, I covered all of this stuff from start to finish. And the, look, the UNLV was in a terrible, terrible negotiating position right from the start. So was this a good deal relative to the horrendous deal that the Raiders tried to get them to sign in the first place? Yeah, it was decent relative to that. If you walked in here and didn't know anything about the way that the legislature had hamstrung UNLV in all of this and essentially put the Raiders in the power position, then you would look at it and say, wow, that's not a good deal. I mean, UNLV could have said no from the very beginning. No to what? We're playing at Sam Boyd Stadium. We don't want to play. Oh, at stadium. Uh, right. Come on. What? Come now. 
they'd be in a better position right now than they would if they had said that from you, the beginning. You, oh, yeah, yeah. You'd rather still be uh, theoretically making money playing games out at Sam Boyd in front of 3,000 people. They're about okay. to lose money. They're going to lose money this season. That's your argument for why this is a better idea for the program to have continued to play in Sam Boyd Stadium. Like, we're going to stop talking about the recruiting. We're going to stop talking about the, the sweet sales, like all of these things. It's all a better idea because they're not going to get the bond payment because of a once in a generation pandemic. No, no, they're going to lose money because they're going to lose money regardless. Their their operating costs are going to triple at Allegiant Stadium based on what they're playing or paying at Sam Boyd Stadium. Well, yeah, that's not terribly surprising, but they will eventually be able to be fine with it if they execute the strategy that was supposed to be executed, which is we now can sell luxury suites. We now can theoretically get more people into a centrally located stadium than ask them to park in the dirt lots out at Sam Boyd in outdoor stadium in 100 degrees. If that means that this year, which is still a pandemic affected year, doesn't work out the way that anybody anticipated, I'm not going to look at what could have been for this year and say that it's a bad deal for UNLV. It'll be a good deal for UNLV if they have a good football program. Well, the chicken and the egg there to some degree, right. correct? Well, no, this does not help them get a better football program. It'll be a good deal for UNLV if they have a good football program. They will not have a good football program because they never had a good football program. They will have. It'll be a, the worse their football team is, the worse the deal is for UNLV. Because in seven years, if they're still a two-win program, nobody's showing up to watch them play, and they're paying more money to play uh, play there. Nobody was showing up to either stadium. Right, and they pay case. less money at Sam Boyd Stadium, so you make more money playing at Sam Boyd. So, or so lose just ma- so have them continue to play in obscurity. Never take a shot at making this program better. Never take a shot that the stadium can either produce more revenues or get better recruits to come play in that stadium, as opposed to having to take them out to the dirt lots of Sam Boyd. That doesn't make any sense to stick with the status quo of something that hadn't worked for all that time. Stadiums don't help you recruit, though. I, I await the technically correct breakdown on that one. Oh, we've done it plenty of times before. There was a athletic directors. You all find the link for you. They did an entire breakdown of two decades worth of programs that open brand new practice facilities or brand new stadiums. There is a one year bump in recruiting rankings for basketball, not for football. And then every program goes back to where they were recruiting rankings uh, before they open the, the facility. How many of them had both at the same time? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know, but okay. there's there's no evidence that building a new facility helps with recruiting. Yeah, you're, you can keep going to that side of it, but in the end, uh, if you're UNLV, I don't think staying with the status quo of Sam Boyd Stadium was ever a reasonable idea, and the best chance they had of getting into any sort of new stadium was tagging along with a far more politically powerful organization in the Raiders than them. All I want to say is that at least the stadium is within a couple miles of the school now. Instead of we have to organize a mass like exodus from UNLV's campus to Henderson. Jared, the best place to park for games at Allegiant Stadium is going to be Sam Boyd anyway. You're going to be walking the same distance at the end of the day. All right, coming up next. What are we talking about? Oh, Desiree Reed Francois. She almost got double her salary to go to Missouri. My husband didn't even really know why he was doing background information on DJ um, because I, I I keep things kind of close to the vest. And so, but I asked Josh, I said, well, how, uh, you know, what do people think in the community about the basketball program? 
And, and he's like, oh, you know, I was talking to one of my colleagues and he really likes him. And I'm like, hey. And then as things started getting and I started narrowing a little bit further down on TJ. And then I said, hey, um, why don't you go? Do you need a haircut? And he's like, yeah, actually, I do. And I'm like, why don't you go to the barbershop? And, and then when you're at the barbershop, maybe you could just ask what people think about TJ Otzelberger. And, and he's like, all right, what are you really after, woman? You're locked in the press box. Desiree Reed Francois is off to Missouri to be the new athletic director. Her contract has been released. She will make $800,000 a year at Missouri. That is a raise from the $425,000 that she had signed for her new contract extension earlier this year to be here at UNLV. Also, Missouri is going to pay half a million dollars because Desiree Francois had a buyout in her contract. Missouri is going to pay UNLV half a million dollars to cover that buyout, which means between TJ Otzelberger and Desiree Reed Francois, UNLV has made just under $4 million in buyout money this year from losing Otzelberger and Desiree Reed Francois. And as a reminder, the basketball team was under 500 this past season. UNLV made $4 million off losing two people. So the stadium will be fine. <laughs> if they can have a coach and an AD hired away to a power conference school every year, it can offset the losses from Allegiant Stadium. Okay. Well, it seems entirely possible if all you have to do is go 29 <laughs> and 30 over two years. I think what you need to do when you're out there researching your next athletic director and if you end up needing another football or basketball coach is to see where their spouses went to school and if they were revered there. <laughs> it is uh, very important to find coaches that will get hired away regardless of their performance. It is, listen, it is honestly amazing how little success UNLV has had in the two important sports and how many people they've had hired away to power conference jobs. Obviously the Chris Beard one was a very bizarre situation, but it still happened. And now Otzelberger and Desiree Reed Francois, like this is a program that or a department that has not seen that much success in these sports that people care about. Desiree Francois did a really good job with her hires in these smaller sports right? Softball, volleyball, like they, they've had a lot of success in these smaller sports with Desiree Reed Francois hires. There's no doubt about that. But the two sports that people care about, the two sports that matter, and especially matter to a team in the SEC like Missouri, th- there's, there's nothing really there to show for it. I mean, hell, the two coaches that she has in place right now, they, they have zero wins between the two of them, right? Like that there's nothing to show for what she's done. It doesn't mean Arroyo is not going to have success at some point in the future. It doesn't mean Kevin Kruger can't be good and be good right away at UNLV, but it's just a little bizarre that UNLV lost their athletic director without actually accomplishing anything in the two important sports when they had just done that with the basketball program a few months ago. Yeah, and as you mentioned with T.J. Otzelberger, I mean, there were extenuating circumstances with this as well, right? Uh, It is very rare for a conference commissioner, as Greg Sankey of the SEC did, to put out a statement at the same time that the school is putting out a statement about the hire of an athletic director. It's just a little bit strange that the conference commissioner is weighing in, and we've read plenty about the connection between Desiree Reed-Francois and Greg Sankey back to the days where Desiree worked in the SEC. So, you know, 
there were circumstances beyond just the performance of that athletic program. There were relationships there that led to these things. And to judge UNLV based on its face versus those relationships, you would find two very different results. And we're in a situation where we're not really going to know if Desiree Francois was that good of an athletic director here for a couple of years. I mean, Marcus Arroyo, we're not going to know if Marcus Arroyo and the program at UNLV is any good for a few years. We're not going to know if Kevin Kruger and the basketball program is any good for a few years, but it brings up this interesting problem that UNLV keeps finding itself in because they've had so much turnover and some of the turnovers because they haven't been successful enough, but because they've had so much turnover, UNLV has been in this position where like how, how often in the last decade have they had the president that hired the athletic director and the athletic director that hired the head football and head basketball coach. Like they, they have had constant turnover to the point where if somebody wants their own person, they can bring them in because there hasn't there, there's no continuity in this entire department. And it's a weird spot because we're not going to know if these coaches are successful. We're not going to know if this Desiree Francois era was successful until a few years down the road. But by then, New athletic director might say, all right, Marcus, you got one more year or two more years or whatever it is, and then I'm making a change. And it's it's just a constant cycle that's not helping UNLV be any good in these sports. Well, to the point that we just talked about, that new university president, that new athletic director to come are going to have their own relationships with their own people that they know and their own people who they've thought to themselves, if I ever have a job in XYZ place, I want that person to be my coach. So Marcus Arroyo and Kevin Kruger start behind the eight ball in the first place. But part of the legacy that Desiree Reed Francois left are the contracts that she gave out, not only to TJ Otzelberger, which in a backdoor way worked out for you well. with the buyout, <laughs> uh, but the Marcus Arroyo contract. Yeah. I mean, my goodness gracious, you gave out the largest contract in the history of Nevada sports, college sports. $1.5 million a year, up to $1.6 million a year, and UNLV owes Arroyo 75% of his remaining salary for the life of the contract if they fire him. So good on him if they're able to get someone else to come in and take Marcus Arroyo if, if he's successful. But if the new athletic director comes in sometime before 2024 and wants to fire Marcus Arroyo, this university is going to be on the hook for more than a million dollars a year for a coach that frankly, it probably will be regretting having hired. Yeah, and we're going to be looking more than likely looking at the next athletic director is, for better or worse, stuck with the two coaches. Like, if they're good, it's not a problem. If they're good, it's it's a good thing for the new athletic director. But if Kruger and Arroyo or one of them is not any good, like, it's going to be an issue going forward for UNLV because you're in a position, they're still early in their contracts where it's really hard to fire them right away. I do want to ask you this. Is there any chance that the new athletic director actually can help UNLV get into a power conference. Like I, that's been like sort of the narrative around UNLV. Hell, Lynn Jessup said it when he hired Desiree Reed Francois, but I just feel like it's not that it's completely hopeless for the new athletic director, but it's not really in their control. If UNLV has any chance of getting into a power conference. No, I mean, UNLV as an institution itself is going to struggle with that because what is it that UNLV offers that is going to attract a power conference. Yeah, the brand. I mean, the, the, the brand still has recognition far beyond what the athletic performance warrants. Uh, but right now, what you have is a middling basketball program and a terrible football program. 
And you need one of those two things to change. You either need to become Kansas again, right? You need to become what you were in the early 90s and become a basketball power again to where the football program doesn't matter. Or you need to at least get that football program up to competent because a competent football program combined with the Las Vegas market, which is increasing in terms of its TV presence with the multiple pro sports here, that would at least become somewhat attractive. But without one or both of those things happening, I don't see any way that UNLV as its own entity without the backing of other schools that it could hook up with or the Mountain West proving to be far, far more forward looking than we've ever seen it be is going to end up in a power conference. All right. Coming up next, owner of Lights FC, Brett Lashbrook joins the show. Joining us now, the owner of Lights FC, Brett Lashbrook. All right, Brett, help me out. I read a story in The Athletic about how there's two options in the future for Messi, Lionel Messi, to come to America. One was playing for Inter-Miami, David Beckham's team, and the other was in Las Vegas. But we don't have an MLS team, so how the hell is that happening? First off, good morning, Las Vegas sports fans. Uh so, uh, yeah, I, I read the article. Uh, I, I, I will say what I always say on this is Mayor Goodman is, I think, one of the best mayors we've ever had. I think her vision for downtown is amazing. Uh, and I will defer comment to her and her office as to any of those discussions. But Mayor Goodman has not been shy about wanting to bring Major League Soccer to downtown Las Vegas, and we are fully, fully supportive of it. All right, well, help me with the timeline here, because Lionel Messi's got a two-year contract with PSG. It might be longer than that until he actually comes and plays in America. But if, if right now Major League Soccer said, we're coming to Vegas, but they said we're not playing in Allegiant Stadium, we want a soccer-specific stadium, how long does that take? Uh, I, you know, you're asking me a construction. You know the answer. A, uh, you know architect. the answer. Come on, Brett. I, I think it would take at least two to three years. Okay. So that could potentially work as a timeline. I just, I don't know. It's fascinating to me that that would be the conversation as well. Vegas is the other option when there's no team here. Um, okay. I but, know. I, but I think it does speak to our market. I think it speaks to... Uh, there are soccer fans in this market. It is an untapped market. It is why the Raiders, the Golden Knights, the A's, uh, everyone is so interested in our market. And it is a testament to the community. So we had the Gold Cup final here. It was 90% fans of the Mexican national team. That could be viewed as a good thing for Major League Soccer because, hey, it was a sellout in a few minutes of when tickets went on sale for the Gold Cup final in Vegas. But if Major League Soccer comes to Vegas, can they convert the people that are fans of the Mexican national team, can they convince those people to come watch Major League Soccer because that's not something they're probably already a fan of? I would say Rome wasn't built in a day, and I understand it's not apples to apples, and I understand the joke you're going to make on, on what I'm about to say. When I launched Lights you know, four or five years ago, and I say this because he's now a friend, Ron Kandowski of the Review Journal wrote a scathing editorial about you know soccer won't work in this city and we don't need the lights. Uh, and, and today, look what's happening. They're bringing continental championships here. It's selling out in a matter of minutes. Uh, and now we're in the conversation, you know, quote, unquote, the conversation for Lionel Messi. So there is a lot of progress that is made, uh, quote, unquote, within the Las Vegas soccer community in a very short amount of time. Do you have a list of people that said bad things about you? <laughs> I love Ron Kentowski. It has become a source of, of fun coffees over the years. Well, okay, just for everybody that's aware, the first time that I met Brett Lashbrook in person, I don't remember exactly what the event was, but you guys un unveiled something or whatever. 
And I come up and I like shake your hand and say, hey, I'm Tyler Bischoff. I was, I think I was writing a story for Vegas 7 at the time. I, I actually you, remember this. It was, at, it was at the Zappos Theater. Yeah, and you said, oh, you're the one that said this wasn't going to work on the radio. Like, do you keep a list of people that have said bad things about you and your dream of soccer in I, Las Vegas? And did I say it with a smile on my face? Of course I, you did. I, I think all successful people uh, keep track of uh, where the naysayers are, and they take pride in proving uh, them wrong. And I think everyone involved in the Lights Project has, has taken pride, and I say this with a smile on my face, proving you wrong that the Lights FC can be successful. So you do, in fact, have a list is what you're confirming. <laughs> it may just be it may, you were at the top of it, though, Tyler. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was. So, okay, on on the idea of Major League Soccer coming here, is Seth Klarman still in a negotiating deal or time period with downtown Las Vegas, or is that dead? Uh, again, I'll, I'll defer to the mayor's office. That that deal was always, and I know you get mad at that, Tyler, but you, you can imagine on these types of deals, these complex deals, uh, that this was at the at city council's plate. So I'll defer to city council members and or uh, Mayor Goodman to discuss the status of that. All right, I'll phrase this question in what directly involves you. Are you still in an agreement that if Seth Klarman buys the land down there that you would sell the team to him? I'm going to defer to the mayor's <laughs> office on, on, on That's that. you, though. And That's I'll directly just, to you. Saying, we are incredibly supportive of anything that helps professional soccer in Las Vegas. We believe downtown is the best location, and we are incredibly appreciative and supportive of the mayor's vision of what downtown can further grow into. Can Lionel Messi play in the United Soccer League when he's 50 years old? <laughs> I would love to find out. <laughs> Trust me. That's the guy who tried to sign Usain Bolt. I'm all for this one. What happened to Usain Bolt? Come on. You let somebody else get Usain Bolt. At the end of the day, it's just money. It came down to one issue. Only one issue. We solved everything else. Just money. Uh, solved everything else. Okay. But we, right. had to, we had to keep the lowest, most family affordable, cost-effective uh, cost oh, price tickets in all of Las Vegas sports. So we oh, did it for the fans. Listen to you. What, what was that tagline? Low, what was it? Most affordable, family-friendly prices? Yes. $5 oh, kids, $10 adults. Oh, Three boy. games coming up. Get excited, everyone. All right. Um, more importantly about these games, is my dog going to be in the Dog Olympics? Well, so so on the Saturday 21st, presented by America First Credit Union, we've got our uh, uh, paws on the park, right? We'll have a paw raid at the beginning of the game. We'll have the Doggy Olympics uh, at halftime, and everyone who has a friendly dog with a leash is invited to bring them to the game, and we will be selecting 10 dogs at halftime for the doggy Olympic uh, competition. Now, I understand you have a French bulldog, but, you know, he or she is going to have to go through some uh, qualifying procedures, you know, before we just bring him out there. Qualifying procedures? Qualifying, how about I just send you yes. a picture of how cute he is, and he'll be the star of the halftime show. I'll tell you what, if you put compete. him in a light scarf, I'm pretty sure he makes the top ten. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's, that's part of the qualifying. Does he look good in pink, blue, and yellow? Does, wait, do you have, like, bandanas? We can tie a bandana around him. Please, of course we do. We're the lights. I don't know. I can't remember seeing a bandana. I don't know. But I, I just can, can your dog go through the sticks? Can it go through the little, you know, the tunnel? Can it go up the stairs? 
That's you the, know, Bojo, our on-field hype man, he's going to be the referee down there. So, no, you know, no. it, it's not easy. And, and the owner has to run along. It's like the Westminster Kennel Club, right, or whatever that is that they do, right? You, you have to be an active participant. You can't just throw your dog out there in front of 10,000 people and hope for good. I'm much less worried about my active participation <laughs> than I am my French bulldog's ability to run through cones or whatever the hell he's going to have to do. I just, What's your French bulldog's name? Squash. Squash. All right. We'll look up. We'll look on the sign-up sheet today. We'll see what we can do. Oh, I haven't even entered him yet. I need to do oh, that. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> the apathy. I, I no. I thought I'd just tell you on the radio. Hey, put my dog in, and he's in. <laughs> Doesn't work. This we're a real team. This is a real competition, Bischoff. Yeah, that's debatable. Wait. Oh, do I win something? Of course, you win something. What? Okay, hold on. What's the prize here? Because I might be bringing like my girlfriend's parents' dogs, who's much more likely <laughs> to do this. What's the prize here? To be determined. To, to be, be determined. Ter- oh. I, can, I can tell you it is It is fun, it is big, it is splashy, and it may involve a uh, dog biscuit of some sort. Listen, that, that means it's going to be a bad prize. We, I, I know this business. We were doing a contest where at one point we had a to-be-determined prize. It ended up being an Antonio Brown Raiders jersey a year and a half after he never played for them. <laughs> I, I listened to that last week. I can't believe the guy went for 15 games. I can't believe that. He hasn't gotten there yet. He's he's up to 13. Now yeah. he's got to get two more to yeah. get to 15. Yeah. He's All not right. at 15 yet. All right. Oh, and by the way, speaking of the Raiders, can I complain to you that your Raiders-themed jersey is the most boring one you guys have ever made? Well, I say this with a lot of love in my heart. Uh, the Raiders jersey is not overly exciting. It is, it is hard. It is just solid black. So we, we threw some white and silver stripes on the shoulders just to – to kind of give it a little pizzazz. But, you know, when we did the Golden Knights night, obviously when we wore the VGK jerseys, it was there's a lot more, I'll call it, uh, design elements in that jersey than there is the Raiders jersey. So, so, so we did our best. And we very much appreciate uh, the Raiders' participation. So that game is on Friday, uh, sorry, August 27th. Uh, meet the Raider edits, meet the Raider legend. Uh, we'll be wearing silver and black jerseys. Raider Rusher will be there. I know he's oh, your favorite I'm not mascot. Coming. Oh, my God. Uh, he... You know, we've even got silver and black confetti that night, so it's going to be a lot of fun. you got to get a picture of Tyler I am with not Raider Rusher. Be... You, you're telling me Raider Rusher is going to be there? The head uh, without a torso? I am just telling you, Raider Rusher was at Cashman Field yesterday for a photo shoot. Oh, boy. He couldn't have been, couldn't have been more personable and uh, photogenic. Oh. <sighs> He and Cash the Soccer Rocker really got along. Yeah, you know my thing. I don't just, think any of the mascots in this We just needed the aces rabbit, and we were, we were going to have a, oh, a real boy. motley crew. Oh, boy. Like, all the mascots in this town are just horrifying to look What's at. What's wrong with Cash the Soccer Rocker? He's the most cool mascot in all of sports. Comes in hot on a Harley Davidson. He has he chest hair. He has what hair? Chest hair. You gave your mascot chest hair. Yeah, because we're for Las Vegas, by Las Vegas, I'm Las Vegas. What does that have to do quit with project, Las Vegas? Quit projecting, Bischoff. Cash the Soccer Rocker is literally, hands down, without a doubt, the most cool mascot in all of sports. I do not think that is accurate. <laughs> what other mascot comes across the field on a Harley Davidson before the game? Listen, I was not at last weekend's game because I was on vacation, but the one before, he wasn't even on it. He was waiting for the Terribles mascot to get there. You need to well, stop bringing we, mascots we, to this town, to this we game. We love Mr. Terrible Herbst, right? What a great mascot, right? So so we had some mascot fun. That You never know what you're going to get in a lights game. I think we also had the camel to live the, the pink scarf instead of the, the, the motorcycle one game. So you really never know what you're going to get. Yeah, sometimes there's a water balloon fight. That was fun. I enjoyed that one. Is Are you there's... ready for the $5,000 cash drop on Sunday, September 5th? 
Oh, I won't be here. Um, but yeah, I'm ready for it. I have missed all of those. You know that, right? Tyler, Tyler, please. Will I need, you schedule my own personal complaint? You schedule them on the first weekend of college football every single year. <laughs> every single year, the first weekend of college football is the five thousand or however much money you're dropping out of it's a helicopter. It's called marketing, Bischoff. Yeah, right? you put you put them on the games you need people to come to. Well, I'm listen. I'm just glad I, this is the first year I get to go to the dog one too. You've somehow scheduled the dog one when I've had to be somewhere else as well. Like, I've been to 75% of your home games, but I've missed every cash drop and every dog day until this well, year. Well, for, for, for those listening, just know it's the most exciting exciting three minutes in all of sports and all of halftime entertainment when we throw money from the sky, five tens and 20s. All right. Uh, so, Messi, Las Vegas Lights, 2028. Believe. Believe. As my friend Ted Lasso would say, believe. Yeah. Will you uh, will you print off uh, some messy jerseys and start sell them, selling them in the team shop? I'll buy one. Any, anything for sale. Any anything anything to teach you. <laughs> All right, he's Brett Lashbrook, owner of Lights FC. By the way, they got a big point over the weekend against a team Phoenix that's usually Huge really point. good. Yeah. Huge point. Huge yeah, point. We're kinda... turning around. We're on the the verge of the playoffs for the first time. Uh, again, $5 kids, $10 adults, three games coming up after this weekend, uh, straight weekend games. If you haven't been, this is my pitch. If you haven't yet been to Cashman Field for a soccer game, you are missing out. Come out. I guarantee you'll have fun. And you will hopefully get to see my dog at halftime on the field. Thanks, Brett. Viva lights. Thanks, guys. I think I accidentally played a technically correct rejoin. How did he defer? He deferred on all the questions. He deferred on the question about him. Well, I mean, that that to me is the least surprising thing. That no, I, listen. Well, besides him ending the interview with Viva Lights, the original agreement they had was if Seth Klarman and the downtown Las Vegas came to an agreement that he would sell the team to Seth Klarman, and he wouldn't even answer if that's still in place. Unbelievable. All right, coming up next. Our sharp Steven won again. The EFL Cup, he's rolling. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Steven is back. He had Cardiff to beat Sutton yesterday. They did, 3-2. to two. Probably a little closer than Steven wanted. But, Steven, you are up to 13 uh, while I was gone, you apparently made an extra deal to win a bunch of prizes. If you get to 15, so you're two away, where do you want to go with your pick today? Today, I'm going to go with the listed pitcher Burns for the Brewers to beat the uh, Cubs. Okay. Okay. So we got you in for the Brewers only if Corbin Burns actually pitches today. Um, all right. If they do that, you will be up to 14 and one away from 15 and winning the jersey, the t-shirt, and the terrifying Raider Rusher socks. Uh, good luck, Stephen. Well, I hope, I assume we'll be talking to you again tomorrow. Thanks. Have a good day, guys. So, the Brewers. I guess. I guess if Corbin Burns doesn't pitch, he just it just doesn't count for him. The, we just bring him back tomorrow. Is, the bet is no action, and we restart at 13 tomorrow. Yeah, that's no fun, though. I I do love the authority in which Adam Candy lays down the. Hey, it's no action. Is Corbin is there is there reason to think Corbin Burns wouldn't pitch today, or he just really wants to make sure he has Corbin Burns on the mound? So, 
I, uh, to to repeat what we discussed with Ed, uh, listed pitchers is a very common way to make your bet, just so that just in case the guy shows up in the locker room and has the runs thirty minutes before he's supposed to pitch and can't get on the mound, that you don't get stuck with whoever they grabbed out of the bullpen uh, trying to win with the Brewers. Right, which is fine, but like you know how serious this is, Adam. Like if he just if we called him tomorrow and it was like, yeah, Corbin Burns didn't pitch, we'd be like, yeah, that's fair. We'll give you another pick. Like, it's not like you had to clarify that ahead of time, but I guess we appreciate it. All right. Adam is here to lay down the law here, but more importantly, this is a terrific story from the athletic that is about the 49ers and their training camp. But more importantly, 49ers quarterbacks are also getting used to how much their new center, Alex Mack, sweats in training camp. Mac has carried a progressively larger towel with him through the first 10 practices. He works hard out there and has a little bit of a sweating issue, Shanahan said, and we need like a beach towel. The quarterbacks are working through that. Honestly, it happens with almost all centers. Maybe Mac is a little worse than others, but no. I mean, Matt Ryan used to make him change his pants like every period. It doesn't stay dry too long. It's part of football. So Alex Mack, the new center of the 49ers, his butt sweats a lot. I think this needs a little bit more of a technical breakdown, though. So (laughs) where is he sweating? Is he sweating where we all sweat, kind of at the top of the pants there? (laughs) Or is this something where we're discussing more in these sort of nether regions that you might need a mirror to locate? is, is it cheek sweat? Is it crack sweat? Is it like the I'm, area between two areas? Like, I'm assuming it is all of the above. I mean, Shanahan said they need a beach towel. That That's the other part, the detail that is progressively gotten larger. The towel has. So, like, I like to assume the first day Alex Mack trotted out there with just the normal little, like, hand towel that you see most quarterbacks or centers use. And they're like, oh. We need something a little bit bigger. And eventually they got to like the towel you use after you shower. And now Kyle Shannon's like, wait, wait, wait. I got like a giant beach towel. We're bringing that. And how is this functional? Like, is this just like on the side next to their drills? Does he have to like wear this towel? This is uh, it's it's beyond fascinating. And that Matt Ryan made him change his pants every quarter is also terrific. So here's the part that's a little bit confusing for me, because what we've been going through with baseball with the quote sticky stuff for the last year has been about trying to apply some sort of uh, we'll say viscous substance sometimes a combination of sunscreen and resin like something liquidy and the same way that pitchers will like lick their fingers when it's cold to get a better grip on the ball so is Alex Max butt sweat making it harder for the quarterback to grip the ball because you would think <laughs> it might be a little bit easier with a little bit of moisture on your hands. So don't, don't you think Alex Mack's butt sweat could be something that we could use like in Major League Baseball to help pitchers get a grip? <laughs> this is the official substance of Major League Baseball. There is a rosin bag and Alex Mack butt sweat on the <laughs> no, back of the mound. Alex, Alex Mack is just standing <laughs> behind the mound. Okay, you you gave me a horrible mental image when you said quarterbacks licking their hands, and now I'm like, <laughs> oh god, somebody's got to go back and find all of the Matt Ryan like in between plays. Did he lick his fingers? I have a feeling maybe this is how COVID oh, started. 
<laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, why do I feel like Matt Ryan might have been the quarterback to wear two gloves in, indoors? That actually sounds yeah, vaguely that accurate. Does sound right. Like, and, what, what, and, and we might know why. If okay, I'm looking at pictures. He's just got the one glove on in most of these pictures. I don't see any with double glove Matt Ryan. But okay, like, so okay, yeah. Go if, ahead. If Alex Mack is sweating that much, like I can understand why you're wearing two gloves as a quarterback. So I think that the question we need to be asking here, though, is. Who has the softer, daintier hands, Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance? Because this could be the determining factor for who ends up becoming the starting quarterback in San Fran. I am okay. I can't get off the quarterback licking the hands because quarterback licking the hand to me, like that's Drew Brees. Like I feel like he licked his hand 17 times before every snap. I, we've got to figure out how much did his center sweat. I'm not sure you're ever going to figure that out, but I think you can safely assume that any quarterback who you have watched them lick their fingers has within 15 seconds of doing that, they have had their hands on the butt sweat of their center. And now you need to say, well, did they lick the front of the hand versus the back of the hand? Because think about it. It's the back of the hand that's in contact with the nether regions. Was the shotgun formation invented because, hey, man, He's got a sweaty butt. I don't need to touch that. Just just toss it to me. Just yeah, the beach to towel can't be too long because otherwise <laughs> it would get caught in the shotgun snap.